It's always a little sad when kids grow up. We know that it has to happen, and indeed it is the goal. But there is something about their littleness that we miss. The same is true about Jesus. Just last week, he was still a toddler as we celebrated the wise men's visit. And now he is roughly 30 years old and joining the people on the periphery, out in the wilderness, listening to the prophet John the Baptist, receiving a baptism of repentance. The question has often been debated as to why Jesus would participate in a baptism of repentance when he himself was perfect, fully human, and fully divine. What was there to repent of? We hear echoes of this question in consideration of baptizing babies. What do they have to repent of? Babies come into our lives in perfect form even if they have certain characteristics that place them in a small percentage of infants, they're still perfect in their arrival. Nothing more or less than what they are, pure in their createdness. And yet we are eager to baptize them, bringing them into the death and resurrection of Christ. I'm hard pressed to think of anything that babies or Jesus, for that matter, need to repent of. There's nothing that comes to mind. But one thing is true of both Jesus and infants. They are part of a broken world. To be human in this world is to be part of an interconnected web of creation. And this web of creation means that pain and joy are felt both directly and indirectly. It is even quite possible that in doing acts of kindness, others will get hurt. Consider the following decisions that face us in this web of creation. We buy cheap clothing in order to free more money to be given away to people in need. However, in doing this, we support sketchy manufacturing practices in other parts of the world, possibly supporting unjust systems. We eat vegetarian in order to respect life. However, in doing this, farm-raised animals that are dependent on the farming industry for their species survival are susceptible to extinction if the market does not support their productivity. We use cloth diapers in order not to contribute to the biohazardous waste in landfills. However, the amount of water and power needed to clean the diapers requires an increase in the use of fossil fuels. That final example is a personal one. <laughs> it is often impossible to make a perfectly moral decision there are very rare cases when we can get it perfectly right because it's not often that such perfection is possible. This is part of what is entailed in being human. 
the recognition that our decisions affect the lives of others, the recognition that our decisions can determine the options that others have at their disposal, the recognition that our decisions might be limited by the decisions of others. This created world is far from perfect. We can wax philosophical and theological as to why that is. That dialogue and debate, though, is bigger than what can be attended to in a Sunday sermon. It is really more fitting for a dinner table and a couple of uninterrupted hours. This world, this is the world into which Jesus came, emptying himself of his divine power in order that he might be fully human in his full divinity. He allowed himself to be affected by our imperfectness. He entered into our humanity and subjected himself to the world in which we live, a world not free from strife or wrongdoing, even in our best attempt. And this is the world that we're born into, too. As infants, we are part of this interconnected web, and as we grow, we learn how our actions affect others, and we experience how others' actions affect us. As much as there is any goodness, there is wrongdoing all around. And so we receive a baptism of repentance in order to practice repentance in our lives. It is because we know that we are forgiven, that we do our best to live lives that reflect our forgiveness. This is what Paul writes about in his letter to the Romans, as found in the sixth chapter. He writes, What then? Should we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you, having once been slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the form of teaching to which you were entrusted, and that you, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. He goes on to say, Now that you have been freed from sin and enslaved to God, the advantage you get is sanctification. The end is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In our baptism, we become free from being slaves of sin and submit to righteousness in order that we might be obedient to the call that God gives us in Jesus Christ. This does not make us perfect. It does not free us from the web of creation in all its brokenness. But it does allow us to repent from the wrongs that we have done or the wrongs that have been done on our behalf, so that we might start again to follow the way of Christ. For the way of Christ is life-giving. In submission to Christ, we find true freedom, joy, 
and peace. God, in God's redemptive power, makes use of our best and our brokenness. As someone once said, so it was told to me, the cracks are where the light shines in. In our brokenness, in the fissures of our lives, in the wrongdoings done by us are on our behalf, if we allow God, God will reveal God's goodness and grace. The cracks can be where God's redeeming light shines in and thus makes the world a better place. So baptism becomes our defining moment. It defines us because it reminds us of our interconnectivity with all creation. It defines us because it reminds us that we are God's children first and foremost. It defines us because it reminds us that God redeems our lives, the good and the bad of it. Thanks be to God. Amen.